Business Women Rock, episode 27. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on? Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I'm really excited that you're here. You'll be able to find all of the show notes for today's episode on bizwomenrock.com forward slash 27. Since today's topic is fashion and our guest is really going to be talking about her fashion business, I thought I would share a little story with you guys revolved around fashion. So Recently, I was nominated for um, a couple different great awards for the Talkie Awards. And the Talkie Awards are really where they honor folks in broadcasting. So people who have created TV shows and podcasts and radio shows and all that sort of great stuff. So I was actually nominated for Best Female Host. The Business Women Rock podcast was nominated for Best Business Show as well as Best Podcast. So there was this huge awards. I mean, just imagine like the little Emmy awards and, and it required formal gear, obviously. And I'm looking around in my closet the day before and I was like, God, what do I wear? What do I wear? I have all these really cute, you know, business dresses, but you know, just a, not too many full on formal dresses. So I'm looking and my wedding dress is sitting right there and I got married two years ago. Now I don't have your traditional wedding dress, so, uh, but it's a white dress or an off white dress and you know, it's kind of frilly and has beads on it. And it's super, super sexy and awesome. And I just love it. And I have not worn it since I got married. And I just was sitting there going, you know what? I think I'm going to wear this. And I took a photo of myself and I put it on Facebook and, and asked, Hey guys, thinking about wearing my wedding dress to the talkie awards tomorrow night. What do you think? Is it, you know, fashion fail, like totally horrible idea or why the hell not? Out of the 49 comments that ended up coming in, 90% were from women who all said, go for it, girl. You own it, work it, it's a go. The 10% were from men who all said, absolutely not, total fashion fail. So at the end of the day, I decided, why not? Let's live it up. So go to the Talkie Awards, end up having a great time, and the climax of this entire story is the fact that we won all three awards, and I got to walk up there in my wedding dress and just totally own it. So it was a ton of fun. That's my little fashion story for the week, and uh, just a way to be able to share with you all the really great stuff that's actually happening for the Business Women Rock podcast and the entire community, which is awesome. The reason that we're having so much success and the reason that we're getting so many accolades is truly because of you. It is because you are loving the show. You are telling your friends. You're interacting with me. You know, you're leaving comments for me. You're sending me emails. You're letting me know about who you are and why you love these stories and what you want to hear. And, uh, and I just really want to thank you for that. It means so much to me. And winning those awards just really solidify that this entire community is totally on fire. So thank you for that. Okay, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Becca McCarran. And Becca is the founder of Chromat. Chromat is like no other design that you have ever seen. They are structural experiments for the human body. 
Now, Becca started as an architect. So just imagine an architect bringing her knowledge and structure into fashion. So you've got these incredibly different looking pieces that people are just dying for. She really specializes in swimwear, lingerie, and general women's fashion. Really cool pieces that have been noticed and used by stars like Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, and Madonna. My conversation with Becca really revolves around not only her journey as to how this business got started and, you know, ups and downs she's had along the way, but really the inside of the fashion industry in New York, which is where she's based out of. She's so fascinating and raw, and I'm really excited to bring her story to you today. So turn up that volume. The interview starts now. Becca, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Katie. I really love what you guys do with Businesswoman Rock. It's encouraging, and I'm so happy that you are having me. Thank you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And your company, Chromat, is in the fashion industry, but it's so different. It's really done off the beaten path of what you would normally think of as fashion. And so I'm really excited to tell everyone the story as to how that has come about and why your company has been having so much success. Let's get started with what you were doing before you started your company. Growing up, I was interested in fashion, but kind of didn't know that it was like a real job because I didn't know any fashion designers. I grew up in Virginia in a small town and there's no fashion designer there's not an industry there. There was just no fashion design role model, so I had no concept of that as a job. But growing up, um, you know, I read Vogue magazine. That was sort of my connection to the fashion culture or fashion world. And I ended up going to architecture school from high school and really loved it and loved architecture and became obsessed with scaffolding. And from there, after graduation, I worked for architects for several years and joined the Peace Corps, was in El Salvador. I was pretty much all over the place, doing things completely unrelated to what I do now, but I think it's kind of informed the way I treat fashion, not having come from a very strict and narrow, like go to fashion design high school or go to fashion design college and then work in the fashion industry. I came from totally left field, and it's, it's interesting what we do now with Chrome, given that background that I have. How did all of this experience really lead to you starting the company back in 2010? I will just start by explaining what Chromat is. What we do with Chromat is sort of it draws from my background in architecture, and we're focused on structural experiments for the human body. So each season we develop new non-traditional materials and do new volumes and new shapes, and we make these sort of scaffolding for the body that creates volumes beyond your just normal structures and these architectural body cages that we've developed is sort of like our brand recognition and marketing. And then we do swimwear, which is what drives the volume of our sales. But before it was high concept fashion label, it was just like a after work activity for me. I had architecture jobs and I would just go home after work, you know, after my day job and just experiment with little clothing projects. And I think that's what I really like about fashion is that it's something that you can do you know, in a day, like you can design, sketch, and build a piece in one day versus the projects I was working on at work, which with urban design is, is master plans take, you know, 10, 50 years to design, develop, and implement. And architecture is, you know, anywhere from a year to five years to see just an idea and a project go from sketch to a built work. But I would just go home and do these little projects after work for fun, making clothes for myself and then friends and Long story short, I ended up meeting someone through an architecture 
connection who was working in New York, and every time I would build new pieces, I would go and show her what I was working on if I was in New York visiting friends, and I was making these bra pieces, and um, I showed her what I was working on, and she was like, these are awesome, and she ended up starting a pop-up shop, which in New York, pop-up shops are really popular, but the concept is that people just put on sort of a temporary retail space, and for this one, it was for Christmas season, so they put on like a two-week store that was in the Lower East Side, and they had some of the bras I was making at the time in their store, and it just kind of snowballed from there. I was still working in Lynchburg, Virginia, doing my day job, but then they started selling all these pieces at this pop-up shop, and so I'd go home and, like, make a few pieces on my little, like, home sewing machine and then ship them to New York, and they would be sold. And then it snowballed even more. Once that pop-up shop it was really successful, they ended up opening up a store in New York. And Chromat was one of the first brands they carried. So they kept getting orders, and I would just do all these orders after work and ship them to New York. And eventually I, I kept getting these things, and I was curious about what this whole fashion scene in New York was like. I didn't have any concept of it, but... It was interesting to me that someone was actually buying the pieces that I was making. It was very like a foreign concept, and so I, I got the idea to move to New York and figured I'd have to keep working as an architect during the daytime, and then I could do, you know, chromat and fashion in the evenings. But when I quit my day job in Virginia and moved up to New York, I kept getting orders. Like, I got more orders, but I don't know how, but a store in L.A. found out about what we were doing with chromat. So I was, like, shipping orders. I would, like, sew them in my tiny little apartment in New York and send them to L.A. and send them to stores in New York. And, like, every week I'd be like, okay, it's time to get serious. I really need to get a job. I have to send my resume out to architecture firms. You know, how am I going to survive in New York now that I'm here? And after, like, three more weeks, I kept getting orders and just, just kept filling them, kept sewing and be like, okay, as soon as this one's done, I'm really going to, like, send out that resume. <laughs> and then three months later, I still hadn't even had time to send a resume out to get a job. And I was, you know, getting money from these orders, and I was like, oh, I guess this is my real job. So Chromat's been my full-time job ever since I moved to New York in 2010, and it's been growing every year since, so I feel really lucky. Now, you mentioned that you really came up to New York in order to really delve deeper into the fashion industry. So what were what were some of those things that you discovered about the fashion industry once you got to New York and as you were, you know, building this fashion company out of your apartment? I had a sense of what the fashion industry was growing up that was not I, – I was really turned off by the fashion industry because on TV and in magazines it seemed very exclusive. It was like – something that rich people do. They buy these really expensive clothes, like luxury goods. It just seemed like kind of snobby and exclusive. And I don't know, it was about this this mystical, like, glamour. But once I realized that the people actually making the clothes were more like craftsmen, they were interested in cut material, they were interested in building shapes, I realized that, like, myself, as someone who loves building things with their hands, it, it actually was something that I could be included in. Like the actual fashion designers themselves are more like craftsmen, but there is that world and there is like that side of fashion that's about buying and it's about consumerism because, you know, with one without the other, like as a craftsman, you have to sell your work because you have to get money to continue doing what you love. So 
now I appreciate the, the PR and the marketing side of fashion, but at the time it just seemed kind of like, like frou-frou. I don't know. It just wasn't like my scene. I'm more of like a hands-on making type of person. But being in New York and, and being in the fashion world, I've been able to meet so many other cool creative people and designers that inspire me. So it's definitely changed how I feel about fashion and changed what I think about the industry a lot for the better. You were obviously getting the feedback from the very beginning that people actually really did love your fashion. And your pieces, by the way, are just visually different and distinct and stunning. And so when you talk about sort of a structural cage, you're really talking about, like, let's say, for instance, there's a skirt. So, you know, you have a skirt, but the skirt kind of has the shape of a skirt, but it, it doesn't actually have, like, the material that covers the entire thing. It's it's almost like what would internally look like the under internal structure of the skirt and minus the, the covering of it. So these are very unique pieces, very artistic, but people were really loving them. So so how did you really get the word out in those first couple of years about what you were doing? What kind of marketing did you do that was effective? Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you like the current pieces. And it's been really encouraging and surprising that so many people are, are big fans. And it's it's awesome. But at the very beginning, I definitely had a lot of help. And I'm really lucky in the sense that from the beginning, I had a showroom. So it's kind of like an actor has an agent. And this showroom... It's called International Playground, and they actually were the original pop-up that sold the first chromat pieces in New York. As they became a retail store, they also started doing wholesale accounts. So they act as my agent, and they sell chromat to other stores nationwide, actually worldwide, or stocked all over the place. The two founders of International Playground had been working in the New York fashion industry for years before I even showed up. So they had a lot of connections to, like, different stylists, like, and different photographers that were doing photo shoots for different magazines. So from the beginning, I think the chromat structural pieces were so different in in the fashion world, and they stood out. And so as stylists and photographers were able to see them through them being at International Playground, it just kind of spread through word of mouth at the very beginning. Like, we've never really had a big marketing budget or campaign. It's all been kind of organic and word of mouth through um, International Playgrounds fashion, original fashion connections. But now it's like we get random emails all the time from stylists like, you know, Beyonce and Madonna, who we've worked with. It's just a random email from someone on their team being like, we saw your stuff. We really love it. We want to have it on your tour. So it's been cool to spread so organically. But I would say that, like, as far as marketing and how we get the word about Chromat out now is definitely through social media. Like, Chromat... I personally really love using the Internet. I think it's fun. I'm really, I love Tumblr and I love Twitter and I love Instagram. And so I would always be posting pictures of the pieces we're working on and pictures of the Chromat pieces in magazine. And I think just having all the social media for different Chromat fans to interact with has been a good way for us to spread the word of what we do and what we make. And as we have more social media fans, then we can sort of filter our fans to our website and also to our web shop, which is online. So our sales channels are like about 70% wholesale, and that's all through international playground sales accounts. And then about 20% doing work with celebrity custom clients like the Beyonce's and the Madonna. And then about 10% is our online shop, which we hope to build our web sales to be like as much as 30% because 
for us to be able to interact directly with the customers through our online shop is really valuable because we actually know who it is that's actually buying these pieces and where they live and all that stuff. So it's great for us to have that direct link. I want to jump into something that you mentioned and dropped a couple of times, which is the fact that you have done designs specifically requested by Madonna, Beyonce, and Nicki Minaj, too, I read. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. When Nicki Minaj was our first celebrity. That was back in 2010. It was total shock and surprise, and it was amazing. So here's my question to you. You've been very clear, like, okay, these people have just sort of found us, and then they contacted us. What was that experience like for all three of those huge artists, and what effect did it have on your business? Yeah, it's, it's been really cool because, you know, part of what we designed for with Chromet is our customers are strong, bold, powerful women. And we're inspired by people like Beyonce. And then to have her team reach out to us to design, it's been so amazing and cool that they like our work just like we like theirs. So that's been awesome. But as far as, like, how they found us and what it was like, I'll tell you, back in 2010 when Chromat was still a baby brand working out of my apartment in Brooklyn, like, I had no idea that Nicki Minaj even had pieces. What happened was her stylist had bought them from a store in L.A., and the store called me one day out of the blue and was like, hi, Becca, uh, you might want to, like, look online to the Jimmy Kimmel show because Nicki Minaj wore one of your chromat dresses on, on TV last night. And it was totally amazing. <laughs> it was crazy. I had no idea. So I was in a coffee shop at the time. I, like, frantically Googled it and found this video, and it, I was so floored. I had no idea she even, like, knew about the brand, and to see her wearing it was it was amazing, and that was sort of just the very beginning, and it's just snowballed from there. So this past summer, we got to see Beyonce perform at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, and her whole team was wearing chromat. She was wearing chromat. She had an all-female band that was all wearing chromat, and it was, it was so crazy. I mean, such a huge, amazing production, her whole concert, and to be involved in some small way was very incredible. It was a dream come true. How awesome. Well, congratulations to you to kind of finalize that conversation. What effect has that had on your business? Because that's incredible marketing that not all companies have access to. You're having yeah. somebody with millions of eyes on them wearing your stuff. So what effect has that had on your business? It's been an amazing sort of PR for us that, you know, we didn't even have to pay for. Or we, didn't, we never sent free stuff to anyone. People actually reach out to us. It's hard to say what effect. I mean, I think it's not something you just see that happens the next day. Like, it's not like once her concert went live, we got like a million web shop orders. It's more of like a thing you can't really put your finger on. But like working with high profile celebrities like that, I guess sort of makes other people think that you're important or interesting. And so I think in some kind of way, it has elevated Chromat to some level as like the Beyonce level, which is pretty amazing. What were some of your biggest challenges, especially in those first couple of years? Well, it's funny because during the first couple of years, I had no idea what I was doing. I have no background in fashion or business. So I was totally winging it and I didn't even know what to expect really. Like I didn't have some sort of master plan. I didn't even know what the path was to do a fashion business. I just totally made it up as I went along. And so looking back, like I think now that I'm running more a more legit company with employees and, you know, contracts and everything, looking back, I'm like, oh my God, how did I do that? But at the time it was 
you know, it was just like the way it had to be done. I didn't see an alternative. Like, we worked out of my apartment for the first two years, and as I started getting, like, my first intern, you know, it was like, okay, you sit on the bed. I'm going to sit in the one chair. We can share this table. <laughs> you know, if you need to cut something big, use the floor. I'll move this desk out of the way. Like, it was like we had no space. We had no money. But somehow we made it work, and it was interesting. I would say one of the biggest challenges, though, of working out of your apartment is you feel like Either you're, you should always be working or you're procrastinating because you're sitting next to your work. You know, like, even once the day is technically over, like, at 7 or 8 p.m., if you want to, like, watch a movie in the living room, you're like, oh, but my work is, like, right there. I'm like, you know, I'm procrastinating right now. What am I doing? My question to you is, how have you funded this company since 2010? I mean, I've read articles about you that, you know, you've stated that you have received no capital, you haven't raised funds, and you've really grown this company organically from the ground up. What attitude do you have towards that? And how has that either, you know, strengthened your brand and your business or actually held it back in certain ways? Yeah, well, I mean, I... Just going back to the way it started, like, I didn't even, I didn't see any other way because I didn't know what you were supposed to do when you started business. I totally made it up. So I didn't know how, how helpful it would have been back then to actually have money, but we've made it work. It's weird because I was telling you, like, before, like, our first year, in total sales, we made 25K. We make a lot more now. But $25,000 was our total income for the entire year, and that included, like, my rent, my food, like, every, all the material costs. It's kind of mind-blowing, but at the time, I just thought that's what you had to do. You know, I didn't eat out. New York is crazy expensive. Like, you walk out the door, you already spent $5, like, no question. <laughs> and so, you know, living in New York, I don't know, I guess I was just living amongst, like, other artists, people who were also broke, and so we would just, like, you know, go to the park and, like, have a picnic or go to bars where they had, like, free chips. It was just a way of life. It was like, I guess it's a good thing that I was young and like a punk and didn't care about money and, you know, because I wasn't getting any. <laughs> but now it's it's easier every year because the way we've always gotten money to fund our project is just through sales. So as we ship orders, the money we get from those orders goes back into our company to help with production costs and sampling costs and like design costs and all that. So it's been a self-feeding machine since the beginning, and somehow it's always been profitable. We've never lost money doing business, which is good. I guess it's probably because if we had been losing money, I would have had to find some other gig. Like, it's just not possible because I had no other option. It's so frustrating, to be honest. Like, whenever I read profiles in New York Times about other fashion designers, it's like, yeah, so-and-so started with a $200,000 loan from his parents. I'm like, what? If I had a $200,000 loan to start this company, we could be doing crazy things right now, you know? But I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish left to our own devices and figuring out ways to make it profitable. So, you know, it feels good to have worked hard and see it paying off. What has been the most surprising part about the fashion industry as you've been in it? I would say it, working in the industry has changed my views about the sense of fashion as like an exclusive sort of glamorous like machine working on the other side you realize how unglamorous it is but also one thing like sort of an industry secret I've realized is like what goes into the price of a garment because there's so much more than you know just the fabric and like how much it costs to sew like all the design time and all the labor all the schlepping of goods from place to place there's a lot of logistics and 
it's like you think that like you're it's kind of amazing now that I've worked in the industry how you can go into Target or Walmart and buy a shirt for three dollars it's just mind-blowing because you know there is someone who is getting like two cents for that shirt like if they can price it that cheap like how is that even possible it's it's interesting how do you think that you've evolved as a businesswoman over this time well I've definitely gotten more legit as the years go by like now you know everyone who works in Chromat is on a contract they have a non-disclosure agreement you know they're on like they're getting their taxes withheld at the beginning it was total free-for-all I had no idea what I was doing there was zero contract it was all just like trust and like we're all in this together we're starting something weird and different but now I have more of like a strong foundation in the legal and accounting side which is very helpful and did you ever have any moments throughout all these years of you know just kind of giving up like did you ever feel that okay this isn't worth it I'm working too hard it's not going to go anywhere did you ever have that moment There's definitely been times where I haven't had sleep, especially leading up to Fashion Week because, oh, man, I will say that, like, whenever we build a collection every spring and every fall, and we launch it at Fashion Week in September and February, and um, leading up to that during the design crunch, like, no matter what we're making, it always goes through this phase during the design process where, like, it looks hideous, it doesn't fit, like, nothing is right, and... I think, like, as far as the creative process goes, there's always that monster phase where you think your work looks terrible and you hate it. And so I think those are some times where I really am filled with self-doubt. Like, what what are we making? This is, like, the weirdest garment ever. Who would ever wear this? It makes no sense. But somehow we've pushed through those times, and it's been so encouraging. Every time it's, it's really scary to release a new collection because – you're never sure what people are going to think about it. It's like anyone launching a new product or, like, you know, having an art show and working on all your paintings for, like, months leading up without anyone seeing them. There's always this, like, self-doubt, like, did I just spend three months making really bad work that is going to, like, fail miserably? But we've been lucky enough to, every time we launch a new collection at New York Fashion Week, just the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and that's so encouraging to know that, like, people appreciate our point of view as designers and, like, our conceptual, more innovative take on fashion. So it's been working out, but it is scary sometimes. Take us behind the scenes of Fashion Week and just sort of the fashion industry there in New York, meaning what is it like during those events? Is it glamorous in the sense that at least during that time you're kind of going to parties, you're getting celebrated, you know, you got your models everywhere? Like, what is that experience really like behind the scenes? Well... This past Fashion Week in February, it has it was the funnest for me personally because I have been lucky enough to have built a team that works amazing and like I actually had someone like an event producer work on my fashion show this season, so they were handling a lot of logistics day of. Whereas in the past it would be like, Oh, like the set hasn't arrived, like what do you want to do about the set, Becca? Or like the list is not right. Someone wants to be added to the list. What do you want to do about that, Becca? Or like, you know, every piece of the puzzle. I've been so heavily involved and doing everything myself and I think that's sort of a part of like starting with no budget because you just can't pay people to do that stuff for you. And so I've had to handle everything, but as we've been able to grow and I've been able to have people actually helping me handle all the like daily minute tasks that go into producing a show. This fashion week was fun for me because I did get to just hang out with the models, make sure everything looks right, like greet the guests, go to parties afterwards because I am lucky enough to have a, a big team that is doing all the nitty gritty work alongside me. So, But 
Yeah, it's a lot of sweat. Like, you have to schlep all your clothes to the place, you know, racks and racks of garments. Like, there's a lot that goes into Fashion Week. And it's all just like a big old circus. It's like planning a wedding every six months. You know, you have to invite the guests. You have to make sure everything looks good with the environment. Like, everything has to be right. It's a lot of work. But it's fun. It's it's a great way to celebrate all the hard work we've done with the collection, building it and designing it. So it's a good kind of cathartic, like, final celebration before we move on to designing the next collection. Becca, you mentioned in the very beginning that you've been giving a lot more attention to reading some really great sort of executive and entrepreneur and business material in order to really help yourself grow as a business person. Um, What have some of those books been? What have been some of your favorites that have really impacted how you're running your company? When I started, way before I started Chromat, I read this book called The End of Fashion by Terry Aggins. And she was a fashion critic and writer for the Wall Street Journal. And she kind of wrote about the history of, like, how fashion has evolved from doing bespoke couture gowns to now the way fashion planners make money is through, like, licensing and sort of, like, basically making a big label with, like, a lot of great press and then just selling cheap perfume, for example. And that is actually what makes all the money. So just, like, thinking of new structures for fashion has been interesting. But, yeah, I read lots of, like, random stuff, like, just trying to absorb and soak up as much sort of entrepreneurial stuff as I can because I'm learning as I go. But something I read lately was Good to Great. I think that's sort of like an exact thing, like a classic. And that talks about just being, like, a manager of people because that's something new for me. And it's been challenging at times to manage people when I'm more of a designer. You know, I like making things with my hands, but now I find myself running a company and having to deal with employees and all this other like stuff I have to do. So I like reading about management and what else? I read The E-Myth recently. That was interesting. And that book talks about organizing your business like a McDonald's where you can just hire like anyone and anyone can step in to run the company because it's so well organized. I think that's interesting. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Well, I think some realistic advice I heard early on for young fashion designers is just that in reality, you think you're going into, like, starting your own label, that you're going to be a designer and you're going to get to do all this creative work. But in reality, only 10% of your time is spent doing the thing you actually love, and the rest of the time is spent running the business. So that's been something that's really rung true for me. Like, I love making clothes and I love designing, but... I send emails all day, and I'm, you know, running to the factory and just checking quality. Like, there's so much other stuff that goes into it besides that one piece that you're passionate about. Now, does that statistic end up sort of weighing you down, or does it give you some sort of fire in your belly to keep on building the business to a a space where you can spend more and more of your time expanding that 10% of time of doing what you love? Where does that yeah, sit 100%. for you? Yeah, 100%. Like, I know as the company grows and I'm able to hire people to do the stuff that I do daily now, which is, like, a lot of production management, you know, just managing the staff. As I can grow the company and hire those positions out, then that gives me the freedom to go back to the reason I am here in the first place, which is I love designing. Becca, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies up there in New York? Uh, well, it's cool being in New York because... The thing I love about being here is we're surrounded by so many other creative people. So for fun, I really like going to friends' shows. Like, I'm friends with this really crazy experimental dance duo and going to see them perform or going to see an artist, like, 
some of our art friends, like their gallery openings, going to concerts with musician friends we have. So it's fun to feel in New York City that we're sort of a part of this, like, cultural creation, whereas, like, growing up watching MTV or reading Vogue, I felt like I was a cultural observer. But now I feel like I'm actually in it watching all my friends create the things that are consumed all over the world. So that's fun. But also I really love going to the batting cage. Really? (laughs) I love batting. I don't know how or why. I Actually, I do kind of know. Back in the day... I love that movie, Illegal Their Own, you know, with Madonna, yeah. and it's about the women's baseball team. Oh, I oh love my that God, movie. that was my, like, obsession growing up. So I never got to be, like, an actual good baseball player, but I, I love that movie. And somehow, I, I don't know, I'm pretty decent at batting, so I like going to the batting cage. That's great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's really random. <laughs> it relieves a lot of stress, too, I'm sure. Totally. Well, Becca, I want to conclude this conversation by asking you, what is your big vision for Chromat? Like, where do you see this company going and where do you want to be? I see Chromat as continuing to evolve as a leader in the swimwear and women's wear industry. And, you know, I'd love to open up a flagship store in New York and have a physical space for all our fans and customers to come and, like, try pieces on and see the new collection each season and to host parties and have a physical space that, is more consumer-based. And also with the physical space, it'd be fun. I really, my dream project is to collaborate with some of my architecture friends on doing like chromat spaces and doing weird sets and build-outs. I still really love architecture, so I want to get into that. But our foundation is sort of based on that structural experiments for the human body. And each new season, like, I just want to continue to see chromat evolve as a women's wear company, a swimwear company, just doing new weird things and continuing to push fashion forward and continue to innovate. So my dream is just to continue doing Chromat for the next 50 years and beyond and just see it continue to be weird and interesting. Well, Becca, people are obviously noticing your business has been growing like crazy. Stars all over the place are are coming to you and wanting your gear. And, you know, by the way, your bathing suits online are gorgeous. I mean, very sexy, very unique, oh, very thanks. different. I love them. Um, cool. so, so, I mean, you just have, you've had great success and you're continuing to grow and it's really because of your foundational love of just being able to be scrappy and get in your business and get your fingers dirty and totally loving what you do. That's really obvious. So I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story. It's a great fashion story and it's, you know, kind of a, an off the beaten path fashion story. And I just really want to thank you so much for sharing your your unique journey along in this business journey for you. So thank you so much for being here. Cool. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate it. Here's what I love so much about Becca. She was very open about the fact that she just had no clue about business in the very beginning. She really even had no clue about the fashion industry that she was in. She just knew that she loved designing. She loved to be able to create these great pieces. And I think that's such a testament to allowing our passions and what we truly love to really lead and open a space where we can really learn what it is we need to learn in order to build something. So I so appreciated what I'm going to call her scrappy style, you know, her willingness to just dive in, get dirty, figure it out along the way and evolve as a business person. How about you? What did you get out of it? Shoot me an email at katie at bizwomenrock.com. I would love to hear from you.
Thanks so much again for listening in. I really appreciate you being here, and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. 